So it's really good to be with you ladies today and um, it's great to have a free Saturday. Am I? Is that better? Yeah, it's good to have a free Saturday. Okay. Right, brilliant. Yeah, so married to Toby from King's, I have um, uh, three children who are getting older very quickly, 17, 16 and um, 12. And I work at King's part-time, predominantly on the pastoral team, and I do a little bit of admin for Toby amongst lots of other different bits and pieces. But I don't want to speak tons about me today. I'd rather just get straight on with it and um, get our heads straight into the word. So, Father God, I just pray right now that you'd be with me, that you'd help me speak. Jesus, I thank you that your presence is here. And I thank you, Jesus, that you are longing, <laughs> longing to meet with us. Yeah. Amen. So, the passage we have today, and because I have to wear glasses now, I've printed it out because it's in bigger writing, um, is John chapter 15. So, let's just read it through. If you've got your Bibles, do um, check that I'm reading it right. I'm afraid I'm reading it in the NIV, so where the word remain comes in, if you're reading the ESV, it will be abide. Okay, so I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. I know we've heard this already uh, uh, said to us this morning, but um, if you're anything like me, I have to hear it two or three times before it goes in. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful you are already clean because of the word i have spoken to you remain in me as i also remain in you no branch can bear fruit by itself it must remain in the vine neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me i am the vine you are the branches if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burnt. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit showing yourself to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in me, in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. So let's set the scene 
as this always helps to set context when we're looking at a passage from Scripture. Um, Chapter 13 is like a turning point in the book. Jesus is now focusing his attention on his farewells, and there's a passion narrative coming through between chapters 13 and uh, chapter 17. Jesus is preparing and encouraging his disciples and telling them how to live. So we've got um, chapter 13 where we're talking about um, the washing of the feet. And then Jesus is preparing his disciples, telling them how to live. And as we go on to chapter 19 and 20, he goes on to tell, it goes on to tell about his death and his resurrection. And the book concludes with his commissioning of the disciples. So Jesus has been in the upper room. He's washed their feet. And the next place we see him is the Garden of Gethsemane. So Jesus was getting precious time with his disciples, those he called friends, whom he loved. He was expressing his last words on the journey, pouring out some of the gems to equip and help them in the future on his way to the garden, yet carrying the knowledge of knowing exactly what he was about to go through. As much as these words were for the disciples then, they're for us now. So let's go back to John 15 and take a look at this. First reflections on reading these 17 verses, for me, is how many times the word abide appears in this this text. I counted them up, and it's 17. No, it isn't, it's 11. (laughs) So surely this must be a strong part of what this passage is trying to communicate to us. So what does it mean to abide and what does that look like? The Greek word here is, and I'm sorry if any of you are Greek and I'm pronouncing it wrong because I have no idea, but it looks like meno, M-E-N-O. Not the most educated, but I do love Jesus. (laughs) And it's meant to stay to stand fast, to stay where one is, to remain, to maintain unbroken relationship. During Jesus' life on earth, he often used the phrase, follow me. But when he was about to leave for heaven, he said, abide in me. Not come to me, but abide in me which better describes an intimacy, I'm going to have to slow down because I'm getting the words out wrong, and closeness. A moment-by-moment surrender to Christ. In one sense, all believers are abiding in him. But when Jesus brings a command, abide in me, and says it several times, we should stop and take notice when we look in Scripture. So that's what the passage says. The question to ask yourself is, are you hungry for him? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit a place to come and rest? Are you actively pursuing and seeking him? Yes, the Father wants us to come to him with our prayers and requests. But what I'm starting to learn is to carve some time out just to sit with him and be in his presence. And you don't have to be in a big conference or a women's event 
or on a Sunday morning to do this. You can do this any time. And the Father is so desperate for you to set time aside to do that with him. If anyone's heard me speak before, um, you might have heard me say this, and I've got to share it because I think it's important. Um, about three years ago, I was walking my, my dog, and I was um, pounding along the road, going, and I'd been reading tons and tons of um, Bethel books at the time and various other books about um, great signs and wonders and things that people were stepping out in. And, and, and I'd had a go, and I wasn't seeing anywhere near the amount of fruit from what I was doing. And, and I remember saying to God, what's this, what's this all about? It can't be me. It can't be you who's got it wrong. There's got to be something in me. Lord, show me what it is in me that I'm not seeing the fruit that I desire. And Jesus gave me three Ps. And I'm, now, I'm only going to share three Ps with you today. But as I'm growing in him, I'm getting more Ps that are coming. <laughs> And the first P was purpose. And purpose to me, I, I feel I've got that one. I know at the, t at the stage of the game when God was talking to me, I thought I've got that. I know my identity. I know who I am in God. I know that he's got plans for me, all of that kind of stuff. The second one was power. And that was the thing. And I was like, Lord, why am I not seeing things? And I find him very clearly say to me, the third P is passion. Passion. I want you to really love me. I want intimacy and closeness with you. And I'd found that my times with God had become, yeah, I prayed and I loved God. I did love God. And I read my Bible. And I was doing it most days. And I was doing it during the day. But I felt God say, no, I want you, Jean, to just set some time aside to just come be. Just come be. Just shut up for a bit. Stop being busy. And listen. So that's what I tried to do. And I'm going to talk a bit about that now. The, we all know what the greatest command is. love the Lord your God with all your heart and I often look at that and think if that's the greatest command is it is that because Jesus knows it's going to have the greatest impact that was food for thought we can't abide without loving Jesus and he wants this to grow. He wants us to be lovers first, not workers. How are you spending your days? Is he fitted in? Or are you, are you doing this, come on, let's just spend some time together? You see, I believe moving from this place is really powerful. The first time I really pushed in to God and sat there and listened at home, I wondered, why on earth have I not been doing this before? Why on earth 
am I just rushing on with my days, doing the chapter that I'm reading, saying all my best prayers and then running out the door? And actually, I just need time to just sit and be intimate with God. And when his presence came on me, and he was telling me he loved me, it was awesome. I spent so much time in my room, and I was like, God, I don't want to go out of this room now. I quite like it here. Shall I just, I could just stay here. And I just felt God say to me, hey, no, I want you now to go out of that door, knowing that you're taking my presence with you. I really think that one of the biggest things I'd like to say today is to encourage you to grow in love first, before everything, because I believe moving from that place is powerful. You see, Jesus doesn't only want to bless us, he wants us to draw near to him and to discover that deep, deep love. And I've, I've been in talks before and, and I spend time discipling ladies sometimes and they've heard people speak about things, but they actually want to know what that looks like. Well, Jean, what do you actually do? What do you actually do? So I'm sure half of you have learned a lot, lot more on this subject that I, than I have. But for those of you who might want to know, I'm just going to go through a quick few bullet points because they really helped me. I sat down when I started to do this and think, oh, I don't really know what I do. Let's just kind of make a quick 10-point thing because it, it really helped. And I know as women, we're all busy, but there is time in your day you can steal some time away. There is time if you have children occasionally where you can just say to your, to your partner, hey, can I just have half an hour? So the first point, I'm going to whiz through these really quickly because I think it might be helpful for some, is to find a quiet place where you're not going to be disturbed, a bit like you would do anyway when you spend your time with God. And I start off by being thankful. And then I love to ponder on him and his works and attributes and remind myself of who I'm coming before, the King of Kings. This is a helpful one for women. Not feeling it, bring those feelings in line with scripture. Recognize there's different seasons in life. There's times when you get before God and it's all, you get the tingles and you feel really empowered and you feel his presence and he's affirming and encouraging you. But there's times when it's really hard and you feel, I'm not getting it today, Lord. Or it's times when you're going through the mill in life and it's, it's really difficult. And I remember one of those times about this time last year when I felt quite exhausted and ready to give in. And I remember, I, I felt, Lord, what's going on? I can't hear you. And I know you're there. Please come speak to me. Please come say something to me. I was tired. I was laying in bed. That's how I got to. That was my quiet time, laying in bed. We had a house full as well, and it was, um, yeah, that was the only place, the only place I could get a, a few minutes was to say I was going to bed. <laughs> and I couldn't hear God, and I kept pushing through. And I remember saying, God, I know you want to speak to me. I'm not going to believe these lies. I'm not going to believe these lies. And then all of a sudden, I could hear his quiet voice as I pushed through. And his words to me were really, really simple. And you've probably all heard them before, but just be still and know that I am God. 
be still and know that I'm God. Now, that probably doesn't sound like anything big to you, but to me at the time, I kept saying that over and over again because that was all God gave me, so that was all I could go with. And then I felt God say, be still and know that I am God and I am reigning over this thing that's really stressing you out right now and you can't see the end of. I'm reigning over this person. I'm reigning over your children. I'm reigning over that job. Be still and know that I'm God. And then I, f- then I needed the toilet. <laughs> so I had to go. And then that little thought comes in your head. Oh, I'm just making that up. Sure, I'm just making that up. So you know, we're all ladies together apart from a few men. I'm sitting on the toilet, and Toby likes a row of books by the toilet. We often, I often know where he is if I can't find him. And all I simply did, and God knew that I wasn't ready to receive some really big, intelligent word, all I simply saw was the, the spine of a book. And it said, don't give up, don't give in. And, and I was just like, God, you are so good. Just little things. So I'm not wanting to stand here today to say I've got it all buttoned up and I always have rosy, joyful times and I never have anything bad happen in my life. I just want you to know that I've got proof that God speaks to you in both times. Anyway, I said I'd get through this quickly. Listen to tiredness. Just be weak sometimes when you're at the end of yourself, like I've just said. Negativity, sin, be quick to say sorry. Ask for help and forgiveness with whatever comes to mind. Because you can bet your bottom dollar when you want to start hearing from God and you just want to spend time with him, you'll be thinking, oh, I've got to get the washing out. Oh, I mustn't forget to get some butter. All that kind of stuff. Write it down. Ignore it. Don't be tempted to give in. I've just said that. I've often found when, when I'm just about to give in, if I just push on through, I haven't read this anywhere, but this is what works for me. It might not work for you, but that's when I suddenly hear God. Don't rush. Allow God time to speak and really chew it over. Then ask him to fill you with his spirit to consume your thinking and help you in your weakness. And lastly, as you walk out of the room, remember you go through your day carrying this presence, that you are a presence carrier of the king, and that is powerful. I love thinking about Moses climbing up Mount Sinai, standing before God. And when he returned, the Israelites saw the fire of God on his face. It says in Exodus 34... They saw he had been with God. He did not know that the skin on his face shone. And I'm sure that wasn't the amazing Differently Clinique moisturiser. <laughs> not that I wear that. I so believe that's how Jesus wants us to be. How our churches need more people who are like Moses, who have climbed closer to be with God. So in answer to your question... What does, or to my question is, what does it mean? What does it look like to abide? And I would say it is to live in his presence and as a result to take on his characteristics. Yet also there's a maturing that comes from growing in him, the knowledge of him and his words, applying it obediently to your life. His life becoming our life as our life is hidden in him. So I've got three points today. And the first one is... Abiding is our identity. Verse 5, he is the vine and we are the branches. There's imagery here of oneness, of closeness. There's a connection and a dependence 
going on. The vine holds nothing back from the branches, pouring everything, um, all life into them. You see, if we're not connected to the vine, the fruit goes bad. We become dry old twigs. And who wants to be a dry old twig? (laughs) Jesus wants us to be bearing strong, vibrant, luscious fruit. Notice Jesus isn't saying produce fruit. He's saying bear fruit. That burden is on, the burden is not on us, it's on him. And that's freeing. All we have to simply do is remain and abide in him. I think sometimes we can make it far too complicated. In the Bible it says, apart from him we can do nothing. We can try with our feeble might, strength, determination and oomph, but you will find that you can only depend on that for a little while. It doesn't last, but he does. We cannot try to produce fruit in order to join the vine. We bear fruit when we receive the life-giving power of the Father. Our part is to remain there. Then the life-giving sap of the Father flows through us. And it's here that the Father lovingly prunes us, making us more fruitful. And he's not an angry, callous God chopping everything down. I have a picture when I started writing this because Toby got a chainsaw um, just a couple of weeks ago and we're completely taking everything out of our garden and starting again. So when I see Toby with his chainsaw like this, taking everything down, and I'm thinking, I'm going to put everything back in there. I can see the picture and it's all going to look lovely. But every time I see that, I see Toby say that, I can see Toby with his chainsaw. So the whole idea of pruning is because Father wants us to produce maximum fruit, a big harvest. If you're a gardener, you will know what pruning is all about. It helps us. First of all, we need to be we need to expect to be pruned. It helps us to lean on and be more dependent on the vine again. It reminds us again, hey, I need you, Father. And sometimes that hurts and it's tough. But yet we experience the fullest effects of his love and growth within us. God dealing with us sometimes exposes sin and wrong thinking. But it should lead to fruitfulness. Do you trust the gardener? I got a sense on preparation for for today that some of you may be asking the question, Can I trust you with me? So that's point number one. Point number two is abiding is our security. How do we cope in the storms and the battles? I've got a Hudson Taylor quote for you. It does not matter how great the pressure. It only matters where the pressure lies. When the pressure comes, does it come between you and God? Or is the pressure drawing you closer to him? What character is it producing in you? Are you drilling into him? Let me encourage you with this fantastic verse. It's in Colossians 2 verse 15. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. I love that. The war has already been won. Keep your focus on him. 
There are times when I cherish this word. But there are times when I have to hold on to it with strength and with authority. Remembering that the God of angel armies is with us and he has given me everything I need. What I love about scripture is there is an antidote of every lie or flesh thought that you might have. And one day I'd love to stand here with a flipboard and think of all the things that, that lies that women believe. And then we'll have another one over here, which is the antidote. Because I think it would be really, really powerful and it would really help us. And we should probably have them all slapped up on our fridges. So he has done and is doing the hard stuff. I simply have to be faithful, obedient and start loving him. I also just want to say it again with a group of ladies in the room because I feel it's important. Please just remember, although feelings are helpful, feelings mustn't be relied on. We have to regularly take our feelings and spear them with truth. I've got a little story here which I love and as it's, it's appropriate, so I'm just going to read it to you. It says, a farmer owned an orchard in a valley full of orchards. I'm not sure where this came from. Toby gave it to me ages ago. One year, the drought was harder than normal. His trees stood out from the other orchards, fruitful and colourful. Other farmers asked, what's the secret? And he replied, my trees can go another four weeks without water. You see, when they were young... I often withheld water from them so that their roots were forced to drill deeper to find water. So while other trees are dying, mine are drinking from a much deeper source. Jesus knows what he's doing with you. Will you trust him? My last point is abiding is our adventure and purpose. Oh, this is a good bit. This is the bit I want to be walking in all the time. I think we all do. Don't you just love it when God turns up in your conversations or you take steps of faith and you see his hand at work? It is the biggest high I ever have. I just love it when, when, when it's scary and you just go and do it. I'm sure in this room we all have stories of where we've seen God's mighty hand at work and times when it all seemed to go wrong and appeared not to work. I'm not putting an awful lot of stories in this one because a lot of them are going to come up in my seminar. But at the moment, I've found we lived in one community in Norwich for about six years and it took a while for our community to get to know us and trust us. I'm now finding where I'm living at the moment. We've been, been there for about five or six years. And there's been ladies who I've been investing in. There's been conversations that I've had. But we've had some real curveballs come in. Because I've got so, oh, something's going on there. And God's saying, come over here, though, Jean. There's something going on over here. And just, just recently, I remember when... Um, uh, Rachel asked me to, to come, and, come and speak. I think when you've lived in a community for a while, you don't always have to be 
preaching God all the time. You just have to live your life and let your life do the talking. You can't be a fake you. We have evangelists in our church, and I've always said I'm just not a natural evangelist, but I've learned to be and do me with God in me because we're not all called to be evangelists, but we are all called to go. And I've just found, as I just get on with being me, it's tremendously freeing. When I first moved to Mile Cross ages ago, Toby's quite an evangelist, and he'll just go and speak to anybody about everything, and I'll be more like, oh, what if they ask a difficult question, and I can't answer it. And we had a lodger for a while, and guess what? Guess what she was? An evangelist. <laughs> and I got real hang-ups, because... I was watching them doing it all brilliantly and even having some duffers, but they were really, really good at getting on with being an evangelist. And I just felt God say, just chill out, Jean, just be you. And I often find that God uses me when people, start, when people have problems, and that's when I can bring the scripture in. Um, and we had a, a, a lady recently in Trous who's got three children, really recently split up from her husband and she was ill and she phoned me up because she'd got really really sick and said Jean I don't know anyone else I can turn to and I remember I don't know what's going on there but we have conversations still regularly but I do remember she was so ill she got a bug she'd just come back from holiday they nearly had to stop the plane to land her in a hospital and her three kids came to live with us and she lived with us. We put her in an unclean area of the house because nobody wanted her germs because we were told by the hospital that it was infectious. But I remember going up to her and saying, right, God, I'm going to say my best prayer now. You better turn up, Trumps. <laughs> and I did do my best prayer and I did command and take authority over everything and nothing happened. But at least I did it. And we mustn't keep, we mustn't stop because if we stop, we're never going to see anything. But I do know that she lived in my house for a few days and she knew that I was praying. I was touched that she knew our family and she knew the house to come and knock on. We've recently had two neighbours who totally out of the blue, one two weeks ago, came and knocked on our door saying, I hear you and Toby run a church. Is it all right if I come along on Sunday? And then blow me down. The next Sunday, I'm out watering the garden, and then the next neighbour, next door, came and knocked on my door and did exactly the same. So don't discount what just living. They both turned up. Don't know what they thought of it. <laughs> but there'll be some conversations over the summer, I'm sure. But God just wants to give us some surprises sometimes where you don't have to just try to make it all too hard for yourself. Just let it happen. Don't be a fake you. Be who Jesus called you to be. I've got, gone off my notes now. Help me. <laughs> so people are watching. Remember, seeds are planted. All you've got to do is just do the part that you're called to do. Listen and ask God, what are you saying and what do you want to do? Simply put, we stay connected to Jesus and he causes us to be fruitful. Now, I wasn't going to add this bit. But I felt I had to. I took it out, and then yesterday I put it back in. And after some of the words that we've had today, I feel I need to share it. I felt God say to me a while back that there's a danger in our church, churches, and for me personally, to have an unintentional mindset of complacency. 
And I don't know about you, sometimes I can go about my days and if I review it at the end of the day, I can think, hey, I wasn't listening to you, Father. I got an opportunity there and I didn't see it. I somehow had gone to sleep. I somehow had got focused on what I had to get done. And I missed something. And why the whole reason I'm, I'm going to... Well, I'm, I'm going to carry on here. It then came to me as I pondered on it even more that there's a deception going on. We've seen a bit... This is me writing when I was praying. We've seen a bit. We've heard stories, miracles, healings, and signs of wonders. God's hand at work. Yet there's a numbness towards expectation sometimes when I live my normal life of seeing the supernatural, God's hand at work. He is a supernatural God. Therefore, as we are in him, his presence is in us. It is, norm it is normal for us to be naturally like him, thereby seeing the super things of the kingdom happen each day because of his power in us. He said we would do the things he did, didn't he? And more. As Christians, it should be natural for us. Even as I write this, I'm tempted to think this is just a play on the word supernatural. We can even think of the word supernatural as being a bit out there, man. But as I listen to the Father, I get this sense of no. This is and should be normal, everyday life for those who are in me. You shall lay hands on the sick and they will be healed. Normal, natural. You shall set the captives free. Normal, natural. So I'm going to whiz through these. You shall, by my power, break down footholds and strongholds. Normal, natural. You shall see restoration. Normal, natural. You shall see signs from the heavens. Normal, natural. You shall see signs and wonders happen on earth. Normal, natural. In fact, it's all normal and natural. For this is my kingdom you are in. Normal is what we see in the Bible, not what we perceive to be normal. Normal needs to be redefined by God's normal. Don't believe the trick or the lie of the human mind that it isn't. In Christ, you are naturally super. Now, the reason I shared this with you is because I went and brought a book, and I'm now going to recommend two books which sadly aren't on the bookstore, but you can get them somewhere else. And blow me down, I started reading the first few chapters of this, and this guy is saying everything that I had kind of felt with my walk with God. And I got this... And I turned to this chapter, chapter 6, and the book is, because I know you're all dreaming to know what it is, I Will Be Found By You, Francis Frangipan. I don't know if anyone's read that book. Well, look, I'm going to tell you a story. Because after this, I got, just because we walk and talk, does not mean we are truly awake. Zachariah was not sleeping when an angel roused him as a man who is awakened from his sleep, it says in Zechariah 4, verse 1, perhaps we too need to be shaken from our slumber to possess the promises of God. This chapter is called For Dreams to Come True. 
Amazingly, in spite of all the signs of wonders and warnings announcing that we are truly in the last days, Jesus said there will also be a mysterious drowsiness that we must discern. I was like, oh, maybe you're saying something, God. And overcome. Indeed, immediately after highlighting the various evidences of the end times, he compares the church to the virgins who got drowsy and began to sleep. Virgins sleeping at the end of age, it seemed. Incomprehensible with the coming wonders in the sky above and signs in the earth below. Yet this phenomenon of spiritual slumber is losing our God-seeking hunger. It's something, it's something we must guard against, ladies. When this slumbering spirit approaches, it first dulls our perception. Soon our zeal for the things of God diminishes. We still love the Lord, of course, but our vision sits in the back seat as other less important aspects of life set the direction of our lives. Indeed, from the beginning, the voice of Satan has had this lulling effect on mankind. Eve's excuse for disobedience, the serpent have caused me to forget. And then he goes on to tell of a dream. I'm going to share this because I think it's powerful. So take the time to enjoy. It's just, just a little bit, a lovely dream that he had. Amazing, powerful dream. There is a temple standing in an open field. My view of the temple was from its side, about 200 yards away. Are you all still with me? You're not falling asleep. <laughs> Don't fall asleep after this story, please. I could not see its front, yet it must have been completely open because great light flashed out from the inside. It pulsed like lightning, yet was solid like sunlight. The block of light caused, coursed straight out, and I knew this light was the glory of God. The temple was so close, just across the field, that I knew with just a little effort I could enter the glory of God. His holy presence was clearly within my reach. There were others also in the dream who were directly in front of me, people I recognised from church. Each one seemed busy, and while the temple and its light were visible and readily accessible to all, every head was bent downwards and turned away from the light. Each was occupied with other things. I heard one person say, I have to do the laundry. Another said, I have to go to work. I could see people reading newspapers, watching television and eating. I was sure, and sure everyone could see the light if they wanted to, even more sure that we all knew his glory was near. There was even a few people reading the Bible and praying, but everyone maintained the downward thrust in their gaze. Each had a mental barrier of some kind between himself and the place of God's presence. No one, in fact, seemed capable of standing up, turning, and steadfastly walking into the very near glory of God. As I watched, suddenly my wife lifted her head and beheld the temple in the field. She stood and walked without pausing towards the open front. As she drew close to the light, a garment of glory formed and thickened around her. The closer she went, the denser the light surrounding her became. Finally, she stepped in front of the temple, turned and stood in full view of the blazing glory of God. Then she entered the temple. Oh, how jealous I felt. My wife had entered the glory of God before me. At that same time, I realised that there was nothing stopping me from approaching God's presence, nothing except the multitude of things to do. 
and responsibilities that in truth ruled my life more than the voice of God. Pushing the weight of these pressures from me, I determined to rise and enter the temple myself. But to my great regret, in my dream, I rose up. I suddenly woke up. The longing and disappointment within me seemed unbearable. I had been so close to entering God's presence, how I wanted to enter the temple and be swallowed up in his glory. And I cried, Lord, why did you let me wake up? Immediately, the word of the Lord responded, and he said, I will not have my servant's life fulfilled by a dream. If you want your dreams to come true, you have to wake up. Abiding in Jesus leads to us walking like Jesus. I'm on the last page. Do we stay still for long enough? That's not the way of our culture in the Western world, and for us women at times. First, we abide. Then, secure in our identity and our calling, we go. This, I believe, is the way to bear fruit. He enables me to bear fruit and expects us to. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ to do good works. God prepared for us in advance to do. And I love, I, I love looking at different passages, um, different versions of the Bible. And in the message, it says, uh, it says prepared, in, um, prepared for, for us to do good works. It says, and we'd better be doing them. <laughs> we need his divine assistance more of his Holy Spirit. Our fruit confirms us. He is glorified. It has lasting value and eternal significance. Seeing change and growth in your life might seem slow at times, but is it happening? Don't you just love it when the grandparents come round and say, oh, hasn't little Johnny grown? Is that what people you spend time with can see in you because we can't always see it when you were little Johnny you couldn't see yourself growing but can those who speak into your life see you growing are you bearing fruit that is evidence of a relationship with him it says abide in him and he will abide in you and as I draw to a close now I just want to it's a bit like a, a love abide love sandwich if we look at the last, uh, the last few verses of, um, from, from verse 9 to the end of verse 17, the next word we see loads of times is love. Again, nine times to be precise. Can I say you are never going to be able to abide unless you love him first? This is what the tree should look like. Just there. As we're taking, as we're talking today about horticulture, that love down there is the miracle grow. Now, this is me. I do love gardening. At the beginning of the season of the summer, I always buy one of these miracle grows. And then I get to October and November, I sit on the side and I haven't even used it. I had to buy this for the sake of today because it said miracle grow on it. Normally I buy the cheap version. <laughs> but that's what love is. That's our miracle grow. Please think of me 
And don't leave it on the shelf, not using it. Do use it. I like a visual aid. I've got my visual aid in. Toby will be pleased with me. So, read verse 9 aloud. Oh, that's a note to me. Read verse 9 aloud. <laughs> Wake up, Jean. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. It says it, it, says it twice. Verse 12, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. If we want to see strong, good, healthy churches, this is what they need to be known for, that they love each other, they love Christ and they're in Christ, remaining, making their home in, it says in the message. Are you allowing God to make his home in you? Are you okay with him if he comes and changes the furniture around a little bit? Or might even knock a few walls down? Are you allowing God to make home in you? And as I land, my last quote is from another book that's not on the bookshop, but I love it. Both me and Tabs have read this loads of times. It is falling apart and it's written all over, but it's called Turnings by Guy Chevro. I don't know if anyone's read that. And this is what I want to land with. God is continually asking if we will say yes to all that he has purposed for our lives. Partial obedience will never yield kingdom fruitfulness, let alone the fulfillment of our destiny or the realisation of what it means to be in his likeness.